Hello and welcome to the Body Track Academy, created by EPs for EPs. We'll cover all things clinical, business and personal growth to help you and the exercise physiology industry reach its potential. If you enjoyed this episode and find something useful, you know what to do. Hit the subscribe button, leave us a review and tell your friends to check it out. If you haven't already joined the Body Track Academy on Facebook, look us up, join our community of exercise physiologists and access more great content. All right, associates, we're sitting down today. Bit of a different style of how we're going to do it. I am sitting in with Gage Robbins, who is one of our EPs at Body Track. He's very, very interested in shoulders and musculoskeletal conditions, has some great experience in that. So we're going to delve into that a bit further today, but it's going to be more of a discussion because I am also interested in shoulders and musculoskeletal conditions. So you'll hear from two practitioners today about how they approach certain um, conditions, particularly around the shoulder impingement and shoulder bursitis. So without further ado, Gage, welcome. Hello. Thank you, Dan. It's How- great to be here in our high-tech recording studio. <laughs> oh, mate, this is one of the best setup studios. We've got so many buffers around us that we should be uh, crystal clear. Uh, Gage, a little bit of a experience in terms of musk for you first and, and shoulders. How did it sort of fall fall into enjoying that kind of um, clientele? Yeah, so I think most of my exposure came from a musculoskeletal standpoint. So it sort of became um, more of what I was seeing. So I enjoyed it and I took an interest in it. Um, some of the extra sort of professional development I've done has been surrounding the shoulders and frozen shoulders, impingement, um, prescription through there as well. And they are quite a complex joint um, and they usually come with a lot of other complex things with the people that have those issues. Um, But I really enjoy the challenge of the shoulder Mm. um, and taking that head on. Perfect. Um, I think my my background was sort of similar to that as well. I did a few courses around shoulder uh, rehabilitation and all the different pathophys that goes into shoulder conditions uh, and sort of enjoyed the challenge. I think it's a good way that you put it is enjoying enjoying a challenge of, uh, yeah, a, a condition or a musculoskeletal injury that is um, is quite tricky to manage and it's different for each, each person depending on how they present. All right, let's tuck in. So can we just give our, our listeners a bit of a background about what shoulder impingement is and also what shoulder bursitis is. Yeah, so we're going to be discussing the two. Sometimes they come a little bit sort of hand in hand depending on sort of what people can be diagnosed with. Um, But usually (coughs) speaking, bursitis is that bursa sitting in your subacromial space that becomes inflamed. It's usually associated with an overuse injury Mm. um, and the clients will present with pain in the anterior portion of the shoulder or through the tip of the shoulder. Um, Whereas impingement is usually defined as um, the structures in the subacromial space that through repetition, overuse, injury, things like that, Mm. um, become inflamed and sort of reduces our range of movement pain through the tip of the shoulder. So they do present present pretty similar. Yeah, for sure. Um, And sort of what kind of age range are you seeing clients with this? Is it vary or is it... I think pretty common for myself to see people probably around like over the age of 40. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's no sort of epidemiology on this, but Mm. from my experience, seeing a lot of people sort of in that 40 to 60 bracket that Mm. usually come in with these issues. How about yourself? 
Yeah, I, I've probably seen similar um, or b back in the day when I was a younger practitioner, Gage. All those years ago. All those years ago. Um, I did see probably a mixture. So I probably yeah. saw more that 40 to 60 was predominant, I guess. But I also saw young throwing athletes yep. as well. They had similar characteristics to impingement or bursitis. Um, and then right up to the the 70 to 80 kind of age group as well, where we sort of know from that, that that tendons can be quite deteriorated and can impact somewhat on uh, on the on the impingement of the shoulder or the bursitis. So that's sort of where I've seen most of it. Um, and that's, I guess, for listeners out there as well, you you will get a variety of different conditions, uh, sorry, a variety of different presentations within those age groups. But Generally speaking, we're probably going to focus more on that 40 to 60 age group at the moment. Um, all right. So education to a client, how do you go about it? Because there's a couple of tricks that I, I like to use and I've learned over the years, but keen to hear your thoughts about, you know, someone presenting, they've come in and they, they're quite in quite a lot of pain and, and they're, they're thinking, sometimes thinking surgery straight away. They're thinking injections. How do you go about it from your ex-vis standpoint? Yeah, so it's pretty interesting. Like you said, you get sort of that different range in people's views and how they sort of think what's going on at the shoulder. Um, I think from that impingement standpoint, it's really interesting to note that sort of when they're explained to that by whoever it is or they go online and do their Googling, um, mm. people think, you know, they're getting stuck or they're, they're moving wrong. Yeah. Um, when, as we know, that naturally when you go into abduction or if you lift your arm above your head, the head of your humerus translates up. Yeah. So, you know, you can't lift your arm up without putting some pressure <laughs> yeah. on those structures. And yeah. that's exactly why we have bursas is to mm. help that sort of joint lubrication and reduce some of that stress. So mm. it can be pretty hard because clients are quite apprehensive with these conditions and it usually arises over an overuse injury. Yeah. Um, the way that I like to look at it is that basically their shoulder can't keep up with the demands mm. of what they're doing. So the, the <clears throat> shoulder's not strong enough to do what they want to do. They've overused it and it's gotten to this pattern. So talking to the client, um, we sort of educate them about what they're doing and their load management and saying, look, your shoulder's not getting stuck. Um, it's more so there's particular muscles in the shoulder that aren't doing an efficient job yeah. that you can't move into that position. So we need to increase the strength of those muscles to be able to complete those actions. How do you go about that? And that's yeah. sort of probably very similar to bursitis as well. I think they have a little bit of carryover in between. Yeah. Because um, I think from like a, you know, a standpoint where we assess, we probably get very similar results when mm. we do our assessments for those two. Yeah, we do indeed. I, I think my my standpoint sort of an education is is a similar similar pathway to yourself. Um, I'm, I'm big on, I guess... Um, identifying load and and management and um, toler what's tolerable in the in in any joint, but particularly the shoulder. So, the way I, I sort of go down the path of is okay. Well, these issues may be present from like you're saying overuse because the load has exceeded the demand or the toler the toleration that you have in that shoulder joint um, for a, of a long period of time. Yeah. And and that's how I try to explain it. And um, I've Fortunately, if you break, you break it down for them in the simplest form, it's like you say, if you continue to apply a heavy load on, uh, on, on a piece of, on something that can only tolerate so much, that is going to weaken and that is going to eventually 
um, break or damage. Similar thing I think happens with the shoulder and you can yeah. kind of talk in those terms because exactly right, they, they, they come in and they think it's completely different yeah, yeah. for them as well. They think, oh, I'm stuck, I'm, I'm done here, my shoulder's gone, I can't do this, I can't do that. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I try and break it down to go, you know, load and, and toleration is, there's a mismatch. Our job is to improve the ability to tolerate more load. And the other part too that I go into is about compensatory patterns. So yep. we'd see that it really apparent around the shoulder. And my favorite, my favorite thing about the shoulder, before I ask about uh, compensation for your gauge, is golf ball on a golf tee. I heard it from a physio way long ago. Yeah. And if we think about our shoulder joint, it's got more range of motion than stability. And that's that analogy of someone, I can't remember the physio name, but years and years ago, and it just stuck with me, is imagine a golf ball on a golf tee and the instability it has, gust of wind can blow it over. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And I actually like that quite a lot and my clients respond to that quite well in terms of understanding, yeah, there is a heap of range here and we've got, you know, four rotator cuff muscles that are going to hold it together, yeah, exactly. like, plus obviously a lot of others, but they're the main ones. Uh, and so they can kind of see, all right, there's, there's more to this than just being stuck. Yeah, so, definitely, definitely. Mm. And it's sort of like on that, you know, showing diagrams or things like that, like yep. I just the classic throw your hands up. I say, this is your hip, wrap my fist in the hand. Yeah, good and one. And this is your yep. shoulder. And then I just create that more shallow groove to sort of show them how things are moving. Mm, um, yeah, good point. That's a good one. And on top of that, like acknowledging <laughs> their pain as well. For so sure. like you said, it's it's that load, completely applied the but acknowledging that they're in pain, they're probably in inflammation and that we need to sort of mm. calm things down before mm. we build them back up again and... Like it's a lot of the time in your subjective, you <clears throat> sort of say, you know, what are you doing? Um, what exercise are you doing? Or what do you do during the week? And it's usually those people that are, I don't know, working on their car for 40 <laughs> hours a week or yep. in the garden 40 hours a week, or maybe their program, they do a hundred variations of the bench press, things mm. like that. Um, yep. So it's really good to dive into that deeper subjective mm. um, and see sort of what their load is. Yep. Without, without going too far into that two gauge, um, just... For our listeners, again, if this is a you know first episode or something that you're listening to, jump back into um, communication with pain, but it's also relevant to a lot of other conditions. And I I talk about um, communicating through an acronym, uh, VERIC, which was what you touched on is the first being V for validation. So someone coming in and, you know, like you said, accepting where they're at mm -hmm. and then working through it from there and working through subjective. But we won't go down that path too much, but there is another episode on that if you wanted to catch up. Catch up on that. All right. Um, I wanted to talk about compensatory patterns. So what, quite often what I'll find is someone will present with, or even a physio might um, refer a patient to us who does have shoulder impingement, and, but they're getting pain in either the um, front of the shoulder or the back of the shoulder. It, it, can, it can vary quite a lot. I've seen people come in and have it um, almost like the deltoid insertion. They've yep. said there's pain there. Yep. And for them, they think, well, that's painful. I need to fix that spot. Yep. How do you go about then educating the client on that, that it's something else is going on? Yeah. So I think that sort of comes down to your assessment as well and sort of going through your assessment, <clears throat> pointing out to the client what's going on. Um, but very common with like that subacromial pain or you know, even those tendinopathies, we get that common mm. referral pattern yep. um, down into the delt. And that's very common with a lot of shoulder pathology. So mm. again, a little bit of education. So 
post our assessment saying, look, this is what we've found, X, Y, Z. Um, however, because of this, you're getting experiencing some referral pain down into the shoulder. And I yep. find like a lot of the times, like when we um, educate clients using on trigger balls and things like that, mm. finding the tender spot, sometimes you get those people that will start putting a trigger ball into their deltoid or something yeah. like that. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting the things that you see there. Mm. Um, how about do you go about it? I think it's a similar trend. I'll often say like there's mixed evidence about it, but there is evidence showing that pain can inhibit muscle contraction or, or there's, there's a, and that causes that compensation that we see. So it can end up being almost like overuse in other muscles around the joint. Yep. So not particularly, let's say deltoid insertion area, um, but uh, it would be if there's say that impingement and minor tear on a rotator cuff muscle, well then again, I, I bring it back to the fact, well, if that isn't at its full capacity to tolerate load, then other muscles have to work harder. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's, that's applied across a lot of joints that we see and, and common ones of, of hip and lower back. There's that kind of agonist, antagonist mismatch or synergists are not working as, as they should. And there's that muscle pattern imbalance. So um, that's from us talking on a clinical sense, but to break it down for the client, I'm like, well, you think this isn't working at its capacity, something else has to give. And that's how I can kind of explain compensation. It's not always that for everyone, but mm. it, and it can present differently. So you treat this as a unique case for your client, but I find that works quite effective and, and my, my clients are bought into that a lot. All right. Quick side thing before we go into further into assessment prescription. How do you do it, go about someone going, I need an injection. I need a corticosteroid injection straight away <laughs> to numb it's, it's this. It's easy. It's easy. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, because a lot of people will come to you and say, and this is for all new guys or anyone out there who's a bit tricky with shoulders, they will come to you and say, oh, I'm going to get an injection and it will fix it up. Yeah, so it sort of can be that common misconception that it's that sort of quick, fic, quick fix mm. band-aid um, <clears throat> slap across the top. So sort of educating people about what, you know, what the corticosteroid is doing and what the other avenue is. So like what we spoke about, educating it's that overuse mechanism or something else doing, something not doing its job. Mm. Um, and with those corticosteroid injections, they're used to sort of decrease inflammation and they can be very successful yeah. in a lot of cases. Yep. I'm not saying that they're not, um, but especially if it's sort of that long-term use, we know they can decrease tissue integrity mm -hmm. as well. Um, but knowing that conservatively we are going to make those overall changes so that people can continue doing those things yeah. that they want yep. to do without sort of falling back into those patterns. Cause it's sort of, who's to say if, you know, you're following maybe these faulty patterns or faulty load management, probably yep. not, not faulty patterns is not the right word to use, mm. um, or faulty load management mm. that yep. they're going to fall yeah. back into that pattern and maybe get another one yep. or another one. Um, so that education surrounding that, Hey, look, this could be a short term improvement for you. Mm. Um, but we need to increase your ability or your capacity to do this, yeah. this and this. Yeah. I, I definitely have the same, uh, same kind of pathway, but I, I take a bit of a, I don't know. I, I'm a, I'm a huge believer in what we do. So I take a bit more of a stand and go now, now in my experience and seeing, um, multiple times where it hasn't worked for some and, and this isn't to say that it's an absolute no from me but I've seen it where it, it hasn't it hasn't worked and um, 
it, it sort of created a little bit more of a setback in some ways. Um, when someone comes and they've, they've presented with it, I often say, let's try this, give me time, let's be conservative about it. And I explain, like Whip Gage and I have already spoken about the um, education around it and how our pathway can work, and we'll delve into that a bit further. Um, and they're sort of getting that, I guess, buy into the process of what XFIS can do and how we can help clinically. And I say that if it's not improving uh, in terms of what you can do functionally and what you're reporting back about your pain levels, then we can look at an option to reduce that inflammation and yeah, go down yeah. that path. Do you usually put a time frame on these things for clients? Oh, How do you, I knew you were going to say, say yeah. this. <laughs> I, so, I, I do sometimes. I do. I, depending on the client, but I, I usually say, give me at least four to six weeks. Give yeah. me that time frame um, at least because, and it depends whether they're seeing me weekly or whether they're doing stuff at home, how diligent mm. they are. There's all those factors, but I usually say, give me four to six. If I'm getting reduction, then we're yeah. on a good pathway. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And I'm quite, quite transparent as well with the clients. I'm like, if it's not working, tell me. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> be open and honest. Like if, if it's not working well, yeah. let's let's you know re let's reconsider a few things. And and most of them are pretty good. Um, the the hardest one to do is the person who has already come with an injection. I go, it's almost like you feel sometimes you're on a bit of pressure from them because they've gone to see heaps of different practitioners, um, yeah. different allied health. It's the last resort. Yeah, <laughs> and you and you go. And it should be the first. Yeah, it should should be the first. But I I accept it as a challenge. I go, this will be good. I've got myself in a position here where I have to sort of, you know, back myself and use what I know and show that this is a good pathway um, forward and it's going to be long-term management rather than the quick fix that we talk about. Yeah. Um, but I, I feel like that time frame can be a bit shorter. Yeah, I like, <laughs> I will take you four to six and I add two. I go six yeah. to eight. Um, I think go. that's like a solid sort of time to develop and implement a program and yeah. make some sort of like behavioral changes. Um, coming back to that, like, you know, we use our shoulders for everything as well. Mm. Um, mm. So it's not like we can sort of <clears throat> give them a little bit of a rest depending mm. on what clients are doing. So usually find that they can take longer to yep. adapt. Um, especially like even things, you know, like we're driving, yeah. Um, yeah. cooking dinner, we're constantly using yep. them, using them. Um, so it's a little bit hard to get away mm. from that. So I like to sort of set that expectation as a longer time frame and saying to clients, look, you know, you're going to get there quicker if you're putting in the work as yep. well. Um, and like you said, home programs, pain reductions, yep. all that sort of stuff in between. So yeah, something you touched on really well is like that expectations of them. Hey, like mm -hmm. making sure they are doing it. Cause again, the other part is you You'll find clients who will come and see you one time a week for 30 minutes. Yeah. yeah. Like, my shoulders are getting better. I'm like, yeah, you're doing your exercise yeah. at home? Nah. Yeah. Well. <laughs> and it's important to take that authority from the start. Of course. Well. Sort of not like, you know, I'll oh, yeah. just try these ones yeah. and then see how you go. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Good fun. Um, all right, Gage, let's talk about some specific assessments for either impingement or bursitis. Um, and I, I, this could go down many different things, yeah, but yeah. What, what's your general kind of um, approach that you have is there like a kind of a framework that you go through yeah um, yeah talk us through what you, what you um, do so <clears throat> usual sort of toolkit that i'll go for um usually like basing off sort of goals mm -hmm. and what they're doing so what, what is the client doing what do they need to be able to do yep. um can we sort of see them doing it you know are they getting trouble um reaching up overhead discomfort reaching up overhead so my standard go-to's are assessing your shoulder flexion Shoulder abduction, shoulder internal external rotation. So yep. they're sort of your basic 
movements. They're doing that at different um, angles as well, like zero degree, 45, 90. Um, I usually like, because I think with your impingement, you usually get the common issues up around that sort of 90 yep, um, sure. to 180. So mm -hmm. usually my go-to assessment for external rotation, internal rotation will be up at 90 degrees. Yeah, sure. Um, and it's a bit more challenging. And if you're noticing any issues with that, actively having a look at some passive yep. range of movement as well. Mm -hmm. um, and then also going through a bit of thoracic mobility so yep. are we getting shoulder issues because we can't extend enough or rotate through mm. the thoracic so looking at that's really important as well mm -hmm. um and usually one of my go-tos for this is assessing strength of the shoulder so yep. assessing some sort of movement pattern that they're doing um whether it be sort of pushing pulling mm. having a look at how the shoulders move can we sort of modify that movement mm -hmm. um and because we see it a lot more with flexion, it presents pain with flexion or abduction, mm. like mm. looking at some sort of upward rotation or some serratus mm. upper trank, upper trap, lower trap strengthening as well. Yep. Because um, I'm not sure yep. if it's the same in your sort of practice, but you know you find a lot of people don't tolerate the push mm. and they can tolerate the pull. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, yeah, like similar similar things. The, I mean, the other thing I do. And I don't use these in isolation whatsoever because it hasn't been well recognized with evidence, but there are those special tests that we can look for for yep. impingement. Yep. Um, I think back when I was doing uni, it was like, oh, do these and you'll notice if it's impingement. Yeah, yeah. And so initially my practice was like, oh, yep, you've got impingement. And I was like, well, I can't diagnose. Why am I doing yeah, this? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but now so what, the, what are the ones that you use? Uh, ones like Hawkins Kennedy, there's, which is sort of at that 90 degree and then you're bending the elbow in towards the body and then allowing, I'm demonstrating to gauge right now, I know you can't see me, <laughs> but allowing that uh, kind of internal rotation and seeing if there's any catching when they're doing that or if that's painful pos position for them, um, applying to see if there's any pressure that they can apply in that position and see if that's causing any catching. But the reason this isn't obviously as clinically relevant is it's not the most ideal position that someone's going to be in. It's it's not what you're going through, Gage, where it's a pushing or a pulling motion, which we do quite often, or external internal yeah. rotation, which is very functional. So I use these very lightly in terms of what um, movements around the shoulder they can tolerate and what's causing them the most, um, the most uh, I guess, grief. And so that's that's one of the ones I use. Empty cans, another one that's that's uh, that I use again as a support. Um, and even full can. So, but, but by going from that, I, again, going back to probably initial practice is I was doing those and going, okay, I think I can identify it might be like a long head bicep or something interference, but that's not what I do anymore. Yeah. I look at it more of a fact of like, if they were to do that and move through that plane with the, the empty can being thumb turned down when they're internally rotated, what is that causing by just doing that, is that causing that increase in, in pain that they have? Mm -hmm. um, how is that then kind of relevant to uh, what movements they do on a day-to-day -day basis? And I can draw from that. Uh, can they move in a flexion plane through with uh, internal rotation as well? Um, can they have pressure applied during that? So I, I use I use those as a, as a guide to then seeing what level of, of uh, comfort they're at with their shoulder in a way. So... Um, in, yeah, so just in addition, I guess, to what your recommendations were with the general range of motion, looking at internal, external rotation, all those things, and then push or pull, I'd use those as another, just a little bit more of a guide. 
Yeah, I guess, um, yeah, yeah, for myself, on. like, I'll probably only jump into those if I suspect any more sort of pathology. Yeah. Or if yeah. it's, like, specific to what we want to achieve. Because mm. um, I know one of the PDs I've done previously sort of combined or spoke about sort of the, the poor um, specificity and yeah. sensitivity of those tests, mm. um, combining the three as, like, a painful arc, a Hawkins-Kennedy impingement, and an empty can test of some sort of rotator cuff pathology. Mm. So I usually group those three together and might just yes, use them yeah. to rule anything else out. But from sort of, like, that functional standpoint, I don't really find too much of a need for them. Yep. Um, like, especially doing what they want to do. Like, you know, it's not many times that we go through flexion in internal rotation, like those empty mm. can positions. So mm. I guess when you're picking this test looking like, what's is this going to make my prescription any better is this going to inform my prescription anymore yeah um and i think you know if you can narrow it down to some more tests mm. uh or sorry less tests um i think it's going to be a little bit better for your prescription as well because you're yep. taking out those variables so. yeah fair all right uh a couple of finishing up on some prescription so where's your starting point i know obviously it varies with what pres- how they present but is there any, again, baseline starting position that you go to and um, and how do you kind of progress from there? Yeah, so usually, like I spoke about, sort of thinking at that serratus or upward rotation strength. Yep. Um, so good little assessments that I like to use there is one that we had on the academy the other day with Cam showing yep. us through there. Go check it out. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, just its sort of loading capacity as well. So having a look at how they go in maybe like a front plank or a four-point position with a shoulder tap, some single arm load in that serratus position. Um, and then going through, you know, there's a lot of serratus exercises. Definitely. But again, what do we want the client to be able to do? What can we tolerate? Mm-hmm. So things like your wall slides, um, working on potentially some rotator cuff strength and stability. Mm. Um, depending on their pain, probably looking to start below that 90-degree mark. Yep. Um, but sort of through the time I've moved a little bit away from a lot of those pulling exercises mm. and sort of that retraction strength, because what we're getting through is that when we're, you know, looking at our goals and what we want to do, a lot of it's anterior, it's out in front of us. It's that stability of the rotator cuff and the yeah, serratus in front point. of us. So, mm. um, a lot of my prescription has moved away from sort of just, you know, giving people those prone retractions, mm. rows, pull downs. Um, although it's going to, it's great for the shoulder sort of if we have the time to do it, but if we want to narrow things down, you know, where do we need to build our strength and resilience? Yeah. I think you draw a really good point there because, um, there is a big emphasis and has been for ages about, uh, because we're so anteriorly focused in our everyday life, then our retractors have to be, they have to be weak. That's, that's sort of the the, the statement we hear, don't we? So strength and retractors, um, but yeah, as, as Gage is alluding to in practice, it's not as black and white. You don't have the short and tight and long and weak any, yeah. anymore, really, yeah. do you? It's, no. um, it's really down to load tolerance, management, what the capacity they have. And if they're doing everything in front of themselves, okay, a little bit of retraction may help to um, get them in a better postural presentation, perhaps, of their shoulder if that's needed. But as you're saying, well they need to be strong to be able to be in those positions. So load them appropriately in those positions. Yeah, exactly. Is that right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, um, I, I do agree with you there because, um, again, I reckon first couple of years of practice for me was exactly that. Oh, this has to be, because we're so drawn, drawn forward, it has to be a retraction that works, yeah. but not so much anymore. Yeah. 
exactly. And sometimes, you know, our programs like that work because yeah. what we're doing is we're probably just getting the client moving away from a specific movement, yeah. um, mm-hmm. doing something else and getting those results. Um, yeah. And they may have come in being very sedentary themselves. Yeah, exactly. They've never done exercise exactly. and um, you're getting benefit and yeah. it's sort of like a false positive in a way. Yeah. And I think similar <laughs> to like you said, sort of going through uni, a lot of that emphasis on, you know, posture, shoulders back and down or even yeah. assessing <clears throat> scapulohumeral rhythm, like a lot of the evidence across you know, history shows that people report all different scapular humoral rhythm, mm. whether they be in pain or not in pain. Yep. Um, so I'm a big advocate for sort of just letting that scat move mm. freely mm. and especially in like your flexion and your abduction based movements, not trying to restrict it so hard or cueing someone to keep their shoulder locked back and down because we know we want to get that serratus working. We yep. want to get your upper traps working. We've got to allow for that shoulder to move mm. around the scapula. Yep. Um, it needs to have some degrees of freedom. Yeah, good point. Um, just thinking as well, like when you start, do you have a preference over like any open or open chain or closed chain? Does that come into play or is it again just a client dependent for you? Yeah, I think client dependent. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> what they're going to tolerate more, I think if we go to like serratus specific exercise, mm-hmm. um, you know, like to sort of use it or how we're going to use it. Yep. Um, so a lot of people sort of go into maybe those four point scrap, scat retraction, yep. protractions, usually like to sort of force a little bit more protraction and going into upper rotation, things like your wall slides, mm. you know, they're pretty classic, but mm. they get the results, they do. Um, which yep. is good. Um, and then moving on from there, but I don't really take that too much into consideration. Yep. Um, if a client's really struggling with, open chain exercises mm. to maybe get some more feedback on the joint if they're sort of pretty poor with their proprioception mm. and their stability around their shoulder. Going into that closed chain is great. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, sort of task specific yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, for you sure. Know, it's a lot of the things we do day to day is going to be open chain for around the shoulders. With impingement or bursitis, um, do you often see a very underactive serratus? In your majority of your cases, do you find that? Not always. Um, but I think when we're sort of like working on upward rotation, we're hitting all those upward rotators anyway. Yep. So we're getting upper traps, mm-hmm. lower traps and things like that. So yep. it's not always that I see it, but it is pretty common. Mm. The knot that, you know, they have that reduced re- ability to go into flexion, abduction or yeah. upward I think that's probably the shoulder. Yeah. yeah. More what I'm yeah. getting at, I guess, is because um, oh, I just definitely see like, this uh, disconnect between that movement of protracting and retracting of the mm. scapula. That it just doesn't sort of, um, and, and it's generally in those who are, uh, who, who are not active or not used to resistance training. Yeah, or exactly. Strength training. And that's where I think, you know, the, the shoulder pathology that they've come in with, uh, is, is sort of the reason why, I guess, cause they haven't got any conditioning around there really. Yeah. yeah. But, Definitely, I've seen um, and take that into account, and that's why subjective is so important. Is seeing what level they are at, what experience they've had, um, because then it can you can kind of see it play out in their objective in, in your objective assessment too. But yeah, I've definitely seen some like stiff kind of movement or just the inca- incapacity for them to actually get into those upwardly rotated positions. Yeah, yeah. The doesn't seem to be very very active there or yeah, something's blocking it, proprioception, there's yeah, other exactly. things that come looking in. Looking at those antagonists as well, looking at mm. this tight through the downward rotators, which are going to restrict yep, that definitely. movement too. Yep. Um, but I think it's really important to like sort of move away from, you know, like that 
faulty scap movement as mm. well because what they call it scapular dyskinesia dys- yeah dyskinesia <laughs> uh, it's yeah. a horrible name yep um, it's titled <laughs> yeah and, it, and that's the thing it almost slaps like a label on the client like, yeah oh, my scaps don't move properly so they're going to believe that mm. um and you know if you see something moving a little bit strange it's okay mm. um that's probably how they've been moving for 40 years before they saw yeah. you <laughs> so <laughs> exactly um you know we want to sort of encourage movement and strength through that range without sort of being too strict and harsh on our prescription and, mm. um, you know, being too pedantic with where the shoulder's sitting. Yeah, so. yeah, for sure. Um, okay, and last, wrapping up, bit of progression. So let's say where they're starting to get that uh, reduction in pain, in pr- improvement in function in that six to eight, wasn't it for you? Yep, usually I'm, I'm, six to I'm eight. I'm the aggressive <laughs> four to six, he's the six to eight. Um, where sort of do you go to from there? What progressions do you find... Uh, are quite good from there. What positions do you put them in? What challenges for them uh, do you put them in as well? Yeah, so I think pushing on into that overhead stability, like yep. usually for most shoulders, like that's your goal. A lot of people can do stuff in that adducted 90 you know, degree position, mm. um, pushing on your prescription. So that could be things like, you know, if you gave them banded external rotation, put it up at 90 degrees. Yeah, um, simple. If you're giving them... Yep sort of maybe a bit of a wall push up. Let's see how we can progress that. Let's go into an overhead position, maybe like your your dolphin presses where you're pushing the head through, um, landmine presses, things mm. like that. Um, those exercises that force a little bit more upward rotation whilst yep. under load. And yep. I think that load as well, keeping it task specific, do they need to be able to do repetitive efforts or are they just doing sort of one big effort mm. every now and then, mm. tailoring our prescription towards that. So when we're talking sets and reps... Mm. what do they need to be able to do? You know, are we just going to give them 12 reps because that's, that's what it says. That's what we start yeah. with. Yeah. Um, that's what the or should be say. saying, okay, we need to go a little heavier, just doing six reps here yeah. and then building real strength yeah. um, in that plane. Yeah. So and that, that facilitates that debate, the, the, the discussion at the start, sorry, about load and, and, and tolera- uh, tolerable load yep. as well, right? Yep. Yeah, and capacity. Good point. That's where <clears throat> guidelines are guidelines. They're not exact. You don't have to do 12. Yep. Be specific. Um, some of the ones that I've seen you already do in the clinic, which I, I really enjoy seeing, is really challenging core stability with it too. And we know that has a good relationship. Um, and it might be a bit more in the advanced client, clientele uh, or someone who, um, like, like I was saying at the start, a bit more athletic, throwing, uh, those kind of things. You can get really um, creative and challenge them yeah, in different, different um, you know, core and shoulder um, uh, positions, um, which can have a good connection and good cohesion between both. Um, anything that comes to mind that you've uh, done recently, Gage? Probably the one you're watching me do today. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, how'd you know? <laughs> um, so yeah, move, moving on, doing like some of those open, closed chain sort of um, exercises, putting them together. One of my go-to ones for a bit of serrata strength is the bear bridge position. So mm-hmm. yep. that four point hover, yep. um, and then adding little progressions from there. And as long as we're sort of, you know, cueing the right things, mm. we can really target the shoulder and our stability around the shoulder. So things like your four point bear rocks back and forth, mm-hmm. bear crawls. Um, the one that I had my client doing today was a ball in a bear bridge, just rolling the ball in a cross yep. or making figure eights as well. So you can get pretty creative with it, mm. um, but sort of understanding your goal direction. Yes, definitely. Um, yeah. And your anatomy as well mm. is how you're going to progress on from there. Yeah. And I think that's a big, the big key from that is, um, I mean, if you jump on social media, it's probably filled with different 
the creative, exercise. the best exercise, <laughs> yeah, for this. And it's all these creative things. And far too often you probably see like, oh, that looks cool. I'll try that with my client. But it's just you've just thrown out everything that you've done. The hard yards yeah, for subjective yeah, and yeah. goal setting. Like, is it is it relevant for them? Exactly. Nah, it just looks cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's not how we practice. So um, yeah, for obviously in that posi- that particular progress um, progression that Gage made is obviously particular for the client. So that's where it comes back to. And um, you want to know yeah your anatomy and the reason why and explain that to your client really clearly. This is this is why we're doing it. This yeah. is going to help you achieve X goal rather yeah. than. Uh, it's just going to challenge you. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's the thing, like as exercise physiologists, we respect and understand mm. the physiology, um, but we treat what we see. Yeah. That's sort of the bottom line. Yep. Um, we do our assessment. We say, we want to improve this and that's how we go that's how we do it from there. Awesome. Well, team, I hope you really enjoyed this discussive uh, podcast, bit of a difference from what we've done previously. And if you're experiencing anyone with any shoulder impingement or bursitis, I hope you can nail it now after some good discussions. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Body Track Academy podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and found something useful, you know what to do. Hit the subscribe button, leave us a review, and tell your friends to check it out. If you're not already in the Body Track Academy on Facebook, look us up. Join our community of exercise physiologists and access more great content. 